Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Clueless. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, as this one is particularly rambly and covers a lot of ground outside of the film, but it probably helps you to enjoy it if you have seen the film. So if you do proceed, just be aware that there are light plot spoilers for the film Clueless. Enjoy. Hello there, Mr. Johnston. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, and you're wearing a vest. Looking good. I am wearing a vest. Do you like my sultry vest outfit? Yeah. I thought it's... I'd wear it just for you. <laughs> Thank you. This is um, episode 20, I just realised. Episode 20? Oh, my days. We've done over 20 hours of nonsense chat. <laughs> It, but I think there's a there's a lot of excellence found within our within our chat. Oh personally. yeah, diamonds in the rough. For certain, for certain. Yeah. How's your week been? Wait, this, I feel like it's Tuesday now. So when did we spoke last week on Wednesday or Thursday? So it hasn't actually been a whole week. But no, it hasn't. It's been we're, we're well ahead of schedule. Um, yeah, it's been all right. Um, what did I do? I went to go and see it. Mm. Um, Any good? That's it's very good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's funny in places, scary in others. Um, it's got uh, Finn Wolfhard in it. Oh, the who kid has, from Stranger has, Things. Yeah, exactly. Who has possibly the best name out of anybody? Yep. In the universe, I wish I was um, called Finn Wolfhard. We can we can call you that if you like. Although there's a there's a cartoonist called Steve Wolfhard who is very good as well. Oh right. And I don't know whether Steve Wolfhard is better because Steve is kind of a more ordinary first name. So it sounds like a janitor who who could kick your ass. <laughs> Steve Wolfhard. Yeah. Yeah, check him out. Like, he's really good. I quite like Finn Wolfhard though as a name. Yeah. The 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 only sort of thing that you could like possibly build upon is if like the first name was ever so slightly different so it was like flynn so you've got those like errol flynn Ooh. overtones so flynn finn wolfhard. wolfhard do you have a brother called flynn and if so is he better than you <laughs> stranger flynn's <laughs> stranger flynn's <laughs> i'm very excited about the return of stranger things by the way yeah me too i i really loved stranger things the first series it took um it took a couple of episodes i think for me to really get into it but everything about it just really worked in a way that you felt it could easily have fallen very very flat with it being kind of um hitting that nostalgia nostalgia market pushing the nostalgia buttons but no it did it did it well yeah it's it's absolutely great really entertaining show um i've also um finished watching the entirety of the latest season of bojack horseman oh shit i haven't watched that at all yet i need to get on that you you need to get on it it's amazing I've been um, I've been reading quite a lot actually instead oh, of wow. instead of watching TV. Um, I got given this manuscript by um, my friend Paul. Shout out to Paul. He's the pitcher on my softball team, or one of the pitchers. But he's my like workhorse pitcher, the guy who I send out to battle in pretty much every game. And then when he gets tired, I go into pitch. Um, he's an editor, mostly of fiction in translation. But he sent me this manuscript of a book he's working on um, by a guy called Sergio de la Pava, and it's a really incredible book. It's really hard to describe. It's like 
it's about um, American culture and social media in the future, but there's there's also this kind of American football thing um, built up with it, with it like kind of a minor league football thing. So um, I'm trying to work out some cover designs for it. So like reading an advanced manuscript of a book is always a strange thing, but it's really, really cool. And his first book is called A Naked Singularity. And I've been reading that as well. And it's like really, really thick. So I'm kind of deeply oh, cool. embedded awesome. in that at the moment. No, oh, that sounds amazing. And I've also been reading um, what I talk about when I talk about running by Murakami, because as you know, I signed up for a half marathon and I'm trying to get some running inspiration. It's a really, really good book where he just talks about quite openly and plainly about his life experience and health and running and stuff. And it's very, yeah, it's very, it's very inspiring and not in a kind of, you can do this way more in a kind of, I did this. Maybe you could too. This is how I run my life. It's all very ordered. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. Oh, cool. Amazing. I, I, I have to say that um, it's very embarrassing, but I've not really read anything in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I find it very difficult to find time to to um, to read um, because it feels like it's such a um, huge sort of like undertaking. Yeah. Whereas like when I'm watching something, I can kind of just veg out or I can put something on in the background whilst I'm working because I end up writing for the website a lot in the evenings um i think i'm slowly drifting into garth merengue territory where before too long i'll have written more words than i will have read which is which is terrifying um i i generally sort of like pick up things like um kurt vonnegut yeah um brett easton ellis where it's like generally they're like punchy shorter books where the way that they're written is is really interesting more so than the story and then that kind of like takes my focus in um but yeah I, I really need to start reading again it's not good for, a, for an english grad ah. to be like i don't really read that much anymore apart it from doesn't the... matter but i find that i tr- i always try and wind down by reading fiction in the evening for at least for like the last half hour of the day before going to bed you know i don't look, try not to look at any screens or check my phone or anything and it really really helps so i always have like a fantasy novel to read before i go to bed so that's when i'm that's when I'm, i do my like reread of the wheel of time so i because oh, i often cool. get distracted or like fall asleep or i'm too tired i get like six pages through so it's probably going to take me the rest of my life to reread it at that pace <laughs> um and yeah then i read kind of non-fiction or literary fiction throughout the day so on my commute and stuff like you you get the bus to work i do yeah yeah can you um, read on the bus or does it make you feel ill no and it's too short a ride um, yeah so i just listen to podcasts one one book series that i'd recommend um if um, if you want something that's vaguely fantasy but um, you don't want to read like however many books are in the Wheel of Time series, is it 13? I think it's 13, 13. yeah. The last couple are by Brandon Sanderson because Robert Jordan died before he finished it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would recommend reading the Gentleman Bastard series. Good name. By Scott Lynch. Um, and like they're kind of fantasy. There's like wizards in it and shit but um it's more sort of like a sort of like fantasy working of like a sort of heist mm. uh, of a heist sort of style thing so yeah i really recommend them they're really well written they've got the kind of like world building which i've not seen since gormenghast as well oh nice um, it really feels like a vibrant universe that he's created i know you're a big um, fan of the gormenghast I am indeed. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are some good, incredibly dense books. 
where it feels like you're being hit around the head with a solid old brick. Nice. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I highly recommend those. The Gentleman Bastards. Uh, yeah, I believe Scott Lynch is published in the UK by Galanx, which is one of the imprints of the company that I work for. Um, having spoken to a couple of people who've worked with him, apparently he's a great guy. Yeah, I've heard that he's lovely as well. Really lovely fella. Yeah. Cool, I'll have to check it out. I also wanted to get your thoughts on, just because I'm curious, what do you think of Darren Aronofsky? Darren Aaron 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 Aronofsky? <laughs> Apart from his hilarious name. Um, I I have mixed thoughts on him in general. I actually really excited to watch Mother because lots of people seem to hate it. Yeah, Every, everyone's <laughs> so, hating on it at the moment. I haven't seen it either. Um, I I thought I, I'm never going to see that because based on my experience of his previous film, I think I've, I've seen two of his films. I've seen The Wrestler and oh, yeah. Black Swan. I absolutely loved The Wrestler. I thought that was a yeah, wonderful, yeah. brilliant film. And then I absolutely detested Black Swan. I thought it was awful. I thought it was a piece of shit. And Mother <laughs> looks kind of similar. <laughs> So uh, um, I was like, I'll pass on that. But now that everyone's hating on it, I am genuinely very curious to see it. it it's the, probably the next film I'm going to see at the cinema um, because they're showing it at our pretentious local cinema that shows lots of art house movies. And oh, I think the, there it might the be fancy the kind cinema. of yeah, it might be the kind of place where it might be a little bit more appreciated. So like, I I have I I generally like Aronofsky, but I think he's a little bit people fawn over him a little bit too much. Yeah. So, like, High is a really interesting movie, his first feature. Um, Requiem for a Dream is one of the most gut-punching pieces of cinema I've ever seen in my life. It's, yeah, it's, I haven't seen that. It's great, but you you want to cry afterwards. Um, and then, like, yeah, The Wrestler is is an underappreciated film. I think I cried uh, at The Wrestler, actually, in a number of, number of spots. Um, the Fountain is really good, but quite odd. And then Black Swan, I think, like... I think what's what really works about Black Swan is not what people really praised it for in that like you kind of know you know exactly where that film is heading. Yeah. Um but like you've got those weird bits of like body horror thrown in where she's like sees herself becoming the swan and she sees her dance partner becoming the swan. Um you've got a really amazing supporting cast possibly more so than than Natalie Portman who I think is a little bit flat in that movie in comparison to people like Mila Kunis, Vincent Cassel, Winona Ryder who I think will put in amazing performances. Yeah. Um, and then sort of like, and then there's a little, there's a few bits later on in the movie, which I kind of laugh out loud. So like, I don't know if you remember, there's a bit where all the paint, all the pictures on the wall start moving and staring at her and like gurning at her. And yeah. like, a lot of people are like, oh, it was so shopping. But like when I, when I saw that, I kind of gave a little giggle. No, I think I thought that was really stupid. I think at that point I was done with the film. I just, I felt that it was oppressive to watch it. I think people have said the same thing about Mother, so I'm probably still not going to like it, even though I'm curious. But it it was an oppressive experience. The music and stuff was all too loud. All of the arrangements of the Tchaikovsky pieces he'd chosen were too booming, you know. And it was all just so like kind of here's some loud and dark shit all in your face, and it's to do with ballet and whatever. And I just I I couldn't get behind it. But maybe See, I, I'll, I maybe no I'll give it another go. I had no problem with that side of things. I quite like an oppressive movie. Um, like a I like things, mate. <laughs> yeah, loud, loud, booming, oppressive movies. Loud, booming, oppressive music. Um, I'm totally on board with because I think like that's a really that's a good way to use artistic media to to make people uncomfortable. And I think Black Swan worked in that regard, but I think it was a little bit too on the nose. Yeah, um, not so much with its themes, but too much with its story. Um, I think it could have been a little bit more 
obtuse, which apparently Mother is. So I'm very excited to see Mother. Yeah. And um, I really so like I... Jennifer Lawrence as well. I feel like I can't think of anything where she's been that, like bad apart from the last two Hunger Games films, but that's not her fault. See, I, I got I got bored of the Hunger Games movies too in because I loved the build-up and the world creation and everything like that. But then they always descended into a bunch of kids run around and hide in the woods. And like, I, I, I have too much other things to do with my time than to watch that. But that's what was good about it. I like, I like, yeah, the kind of kids hiding in the woods, running about and electric shocking, killing each other and stuff. That's all good. <laughs> but, but, it was when it started to, to become a sort of weird love tri- triangle, but also sort of pseudo political stuff. It really didn't work. I mean, I, I, I think it, I believe it follows the books relatively faithfully. But yeah, first two are good. The last two are absolute dog shit. I, I was totally out of that series when I found out that originally in the books, all of the evil demon dogs actually had the faces of the other kids that had been killed and they <laughs> didn't put that into the movie. I'm like, come on, you want to frighten some kids? Put that in. That's yeah. going to scar them for life. I, f- I feel like to make a good Hunger Games movie, it needed to be much more violent than it was. Yeah. It kind of just shied away from everything difficult like showing kids killing each other yeah i think the books are actually much more violent i mean i tried to yeah. read them and i couldn't get past the first two pages because they're so badly written but <laughs> first person present tense oh, i can absolutely fuck off but the, but the problem is that um those kind of things it's already been done better by other people as well so you've got like battle royale for instance mm, is that, the archetype that is an that. awesome film um and then you've got the running man as well Mm-hmm. Um, where like I mean I love the movie but I don't know if you've ever read the book no the book I picked it up at work it's really horrible sitting on my shelf. <laughs> um, by Stephen King under the name Richard Backman which yeah. is when he was trying to do yeah. things that weren't about spooky clowns killing people um, doing not that there's slightly... anything wrong with that no no not at all but yeah he wanted to write outside of his comfort zone I suppose is the way to put it and see and see if people still like appreciated his writing and i think wasn't there some quote where someone said something along the lines of richard backman is the writer that stephen king wishes he was or something yeah, like that there was something um, like that yeah um, which i always think is great but yeah no, so so running man the, the book is is wonderful and the yeah. movie of course is wonderful as well because you get to see arnie in a spandex suit <laughs> shouting one-liners and killing people this um, um, Thursday, so well, it'd be before this episode goes out. So yesterday, on the day this comes out, Stephen King's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Stephen King! Yeah, I know because obviously the company I work for publishes him, and yeah, it's the second year in a row we're doing a thing called King for a Day. So it's a oh. huge Stephen King promotion. I'll probably get some free Stephen King shit. Who knows? Oh, I'm jealous. I'm well, jealous. I'd like to. See I, I have one more thing to share before we get into the the the, the movie chat. Um. Harry Styles, oh okay, um, of of One Direction, he um, he he's done this cover of the Chain by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay, in the Radio One Live Lounge, and it's bloody brilliant. I um I have to say that his song "Sign Sign of the Times," um, yeah. I like it. Even it's it's a very slow ballad. It's very kind of sixties ish. I hated it at first, but it really grew on me, and it keeps sort of jumping into my head at various points it, it's really good like like his solo stuff has been wonderful and um and yeah i i really recommend that you listen to this cover because yeah it came on the radio and it's like oh my god it's so good like it's really 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 good um much better than 
it should be and much better than like 90 percent of the stuff that gets done on live lounge as well oh cool uh, that's in the, you know fleet i love fleetwood mac and they're very sacred to me so i could i could definitely imagine that going wrong but i'm all right i'll check it out yeah yeah, it's it's well good. Bro. I was admonished by a friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, earlier this week for saying that 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 song was the um the Top Gear music when of course it's not. It's the the bit the from nineties Formula One. Yeah, um, very day. Yeah, yeah. So sorry for besmirching Formula One by trying to attach right wing douchebags to it. <laughs> what is what is the song from from Top Gear? I can I can it just hum goes, it in my head. Yeah, but who who did it, or is it just a random piece of music for Top Gear? Someone who I hope falls in the Thames. <laughs> no, that's not fair. Obviously, it was probably just a, a gig for a working composer who needed the oh, cash. Dear. Well, much like all of us. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Cool. So, yeah, shall we get onto this week's film, which is? Episode 20, special, back to the 90s again, which I think we have to do every 10 episodes, I guess, is the rule. But um, well, we need to return to the 90s. Yeah, yeah, because um, first episode was 10 Things I Hate About You, and the second episode was The Bridges of Madison County. Uh, sorry, episode 10 was The Bridges of Madison County, so episode 20, we're in the same same ballpark. Alrighty, okay, I'm on board with that. That sounds like a good rule. Yeah, yeah. Unless when we get to episode 30, you want to just do Bridges of Madison County again, of course. <laughs> the Bridges of Madison County 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> oh, a sequel. That's that's what the world needs. Or we go we go see the musical of the Bridges of Madison County. Or we try and find like a dodgy recording of it from the theatre. And then we watch that. I think we try and find a... Um... A, a bad reworking of it in some like village hall and then we go and see that instead <sighs> or we put it on ourselves that is the kind of thing that would be on in that village hall opposite where your parents used to live i reckon <laughs> it is actually yeah it totally would be yeah i'm i'm down for that but clueless is a vastly superior film in every sense it is it is Although uh, I have to say, I, when I when I went into it, I was like not sure if I'd seen it before, and it turned out I had seen it before. And all of the scenes, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that, but I had forgotten it. I'd seen it, I think maybe a few years ago because Claire had it on DVD. Um, but yeah, I think it says something that I didn't really remember much of it, which is that actually it wasn't probably as good or as memorable as some of the other '90s films we've discussed, but it was still a fun and enjoyable watch. So, yeah, how do you think it holds up against, say, um, 10 Things I Hate About You, which we have to measure every film against because that's the law on this podcast. <laughs> Should we measure Mother against 10 Things I Hate About You? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I, think, like, with Clueless, there's something special about this movie, but that perhaps it, it perhaps doesn't hold up as well with time as 10 things i hate about you um but there's still a real place in my heart for this film and i think it's really it might come down to the fact that it was released so much earlier in the 90s yeah that like this kind of like it paved the way for movies like 10 things i hate about you for sure um because it 
it kind of does things in that kind of tongue-in-cheek way um but just that much earlier if you know what i mean maybe there um, couldn't have been a 10 things i hate about you without clueless first no i really don't think they could both in terms of its structure um the way that it builds characters the way that it messes around with genre conventions um so like it's another one of the movies that's based off something old like we've talked about yeah. many times before some old um, shit some old some old rubbish that we may old... or may not have had to study as literature students yeah it, I, I mean like everyone knows that anything older than you are is like well boring yep um so it always has to be retold in a romantic combi set in high school yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's the law it'll be um yeah that that's why i haven't been to see dunkirk because it's not set in, an, in a high school in Seattle. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's it's not a bunch of it, it's not like the foreign exchange students throwing water bombs at um at some other students. Yeah. So like you have no time for it. Um so so Clueless for for those of you who don't know, Clueless is based on Emma, the uh, Jane Austen novel, which um I don't know if I've ever read Emma. I I haven't read it, but no. Claire's a big fan and she gave me a good plot summary. Yeah, so like it's one of those mo- it's one of those plots that like everybody everybody knows a little bit about, um, and yeah, Clueless is is effectively a a solid retelling of that, but set in high school with Alicia Silverstone. I I read on the Wikipedia page that an early draft of the film also tried to work in elements of adapting Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, but that that was then dropped from the film at a later stage. <laughs> Famously romantic Shakespeare play, Titus Andronicus. That is an incredibly romantic (laughs) play. I've got to say. I mean, it's up there with Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, I I also found out that there is a link from this film to the greatest actor of all time, Nicolas Cage. Oh, really? Yeah. What, what link does it? Um, <laughs> this is a thing we need to do. Um, every episode is work out if there's a direct link from this film to Nicolas Cage. Um, and in this case, it's the um, they t- the stereotype of what the character Cher is, is a valley girl. And I was reading up on the idea of the valley girl. And it seems like apparently the first sort of pop cultural artifact to really make use of the term was a 1983 film called Valley Girl. Starring none other than a 19-year-old Nicolas Cage. Oh, Nicolas Cage. Have you ever seen it? I have not. No, I've heard of it, but um, never seen it. And then I was in a... Um, and there, Yeah, so we have to watch that at some point, I think, because that looks really, really great. But one that seems to have gone under the radar. Uh, but very, very young, hot-looking Cage on the, um, on the pictures. And apparently it's good. It had a very solid rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But then, obviously, I was browsing through Nicolas Cage's Wikipedia page, as you do looking for information on how many castles he owns or owned or whatever. <laughs> and then it turns out that a few years ago he um he was in he was in jail for um uh, a count of like uh, violence or assault that was later the charges of which were later dropped. So I don't think he actually did it. But um he was in jail for a couple of days and his $11,000 bail was posted by none other than Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So obviously Nicolas Cage and Dog the Bounty Hunter are friends. That's amazing. That makes me really happy. Yeah. When um, you, you tell everyone, I, I went to Hawaii on my honeymoon and everyone was saying, oh, did you go surfing? Did you do this, that and whatever? I'll tell my dad and he goes, oh, did you, did you run into Dog the Bounty Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, did you run into Dog the Bounty Hunter? We did not. Oh, that's a shame. We did not. I'm, I'm looking at the, 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 the poster to Valley Girl right now, and it looks like Nicolas Cage has multicolored hair, yep. is wearing a waistcoat with a tie and no shirt. Um, so I'm immediately on board with this movie based on that yep. alone. I want to see him in that outfit. So that kind of early 80s, as long as you have a item of smart clothing on you somewhere, or one to two items of smart clothing, you can do whatever you want with the rest of your body. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think we should bring that rule back. Yeah, I'll, I'll go around. I'll go around in a, uh, in a, in a, in a sexy little cutaway. Yeah, as long as I'm wearing my top hat. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. top hat, t-shirt, wife fronts, <laughs> one sock, just the one. Yeah. But um, yeah, let's get so Nicholas Cage. That's that's your Cage link. We should I'll try and come up with a jingle for the Cage link. Oh yeah, I like it. Yeah, we should totally come up with that. Yeah, but anyway, Nicholas Cage sadly does not star in Clueless. I wish he did, but he doesn't. But there are lots of other great people in this film, including a young Paul Rudd. Yeah, Paul Rudd, who looks exactly the same as he does now. I know. What a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> So, 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 yeah, this movie's got like an amazing little cast of people in it, doesn't it? So, Alicia Silverstone um, is is uh, is Cher in this movie, our lead character, um, spoiled and entitled, but with a heart of gold at the end of it. Um, She's the one who's clueless. She's the titular yes. clueless person. She is the one who is the clueless one, um, and then. In terms of like other big names, we've got Brittany Murphy, mm-hmm. um, who plays Ty. We've got Paul Rudd, who plays Josh, who is the stepbrother of Alicia Silverstone. Um, but they're, they're Faison, definitely not related. Turk. They're definitely not related, thankfully. This isn't a, a Game of Thrones moment <laughs> um, in this movie, because they do eventually, spoiler alert, they, they get together. Yeah, they get it on. That's what, that's what the whole film is about. Yes. Um Although is that really what it's about? No, is, it's about her the... being clueless and then working out that she's clueless. It's actually, I think, more of a journey of self-discovery than it is a romantic film. Yeah, but it yeah, still has the, that romance attached to it because it's that that makes her see it of kind of being in love with an older, an older man. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then we have another appearance from Jeremy Sisto. I know. I was um, going to mention that it's the angry man from Waitress. Yeah, yeah. Who, who? I think I mentioned in that episode that I love Jeremy Sisto as an actor, and yeah. so I'm very pleased to watch Clueless because, like, he's really good at playing like the bastard character. Yeah, um, but like, he's really good at playing like not bastards as well. But, but for some reason, like all of the big movies that he's been in, um, in terms of like the most memorable, um roles he's put in he's been these these sort of like bell ends effectively yeah and what and was what was his role in this again i watched it actually like over a week ago so my memory of it isn't as fresh as usual he he's like the jerk potential boyfriend love interest guy oh that's right and then he yeah. he tries to kiss her in the car and she's like hell no yeah yeah exactly yeah. that's him um one movie that i love um from jeremy sisto is a film that came out a few years ago that's kind of like a cyberpunk movie um called 1.0 um and it's all this kind of like dystopian future um where this guy receives this package inside his apartment and he opens it up and it's empty 
um but then sort of like weird things start happening to him and it's all about sort of like i don't want to spoil it too much because it's genuinely yeah. phenomenal and if i say too much about it it'll ruin it but like it's a a sort of like look at the future of um technology and advertisements oh cool and it's really it's a really interesting film to watch so i highly recommend it it's super creepy um it's got like everyone's favorite creepy german udo Kier in it as well oh yeah yeah who like turns up in everything um and uh, deborah unger as well who turns up in quite a lot of interesting films as well and it's really good um, that sounds and, great yeah it's a really fascinating film it's definitely not worth watching in this podcast because there there's very little romance <laughs> in the God film damn it uh, but yeah it's a good one. it's a good one. i cut you off before you were um properly talking about donald Faison, aka turk from scrubs aka the funny one from scrubs and this is pre-scrubs you know, I used to um, I used to love Scrubs in about year ten, so sort of two thousand four, two thousand three, four. I was really into Scrubs. And this is still pre kind of pre streaming, pre downloading. So, like someone at school, everyone bought like one series of the box sets, and then we all clubbed together and had them all, and like would watch them kind of communally. It was a really nice kind of bonding experience oh, with awesome. the other the other guys at school. But yeah, it was a very popular show that I think just went on too long and lost its way, but was genuinely funny for about three or four seasons. The main funniness being the the kind of bromance between him and Zach Braff. Yeah, I think like I I um I like uh I liked early scrubs quite a lot. And like you said, it's one of those things we used to watch at uni all the time. Um but I just found eventually like JD's character was getting more and more awful <laughs> yeah. as it went on. And uh and like it became harder and harder and harder to watch that show. Um even though they sort of like they started bringing the focus more towards other characters like Dr. Cox and people like that. Yeah. I enjoyed Dr. Cox's story more actually. He became yeah. sort of more of a complex and nuanced character overall as the time went on and you realised he, he was a bastard, but he had good reason to be and but it wasn't even it wasn't cheap either kind of trying to yeah. be like oh he he suffered in his previous life so therefore he's a bastard it's actually yeah it deals with his character and stuff very well him yeah. and the relationship with his wife was always really interesting as well yeah they're incredibly funny um did you ever watch the show that the people who did scrubs did afterwards oh um, what? no i never did cougar town was great it was oh, a really cool. funny show um with courtney cox um and the gay kid from Easy A, as Courtney Cox's son. Oh, that guy. I love and, that guy. And uh, Dr. Cox's wife turns up um, in it as like the best friend of Courtney Cox and like is in it all the time. It's, yeah, it's a really great show. Cool. Um, never really got the recognition it deserved. It's very funny. I'll have to check it out. But yeah, they got very lazy with JD's character development and that like they kept, ha- they couldn't let him be happy with a woman. And the only way that they could think of to kind of throw in some jeopardy for his relationships was to just make him seem a bit rubbish and kind of like end relationships without any good reason or whatever. And it just felt really cheap and stupid, I think. Yeah, he just would be a jerk to women for no good reason. Yeah. And then that would be it. Whereas JD and Carla's relationship was always really fun and their like kind of relationship issues felt a lot more real and engaging, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the show should have just focused on the Todd. Yeah, as the main character, love that guy. everybody would have loved it, and it would have gone on for like twenty seasons. What is that guy doing now? God, I don't know. Let's let let's have a look. Appearing in what kid rock videos or something? Probably, I don't know. I, I hope he has he has more 
he's got to have a cameo in Sensations. We could get him in as like one of the contestants who like loses in the first or second round, and he's just like yeah, he could be Robert Maschio. Uh, Let's have a look at what else he's been up to. So he's been in an episode of Bones. In a film called Lethal Seduction. <laughs> that sounds like a porno. He's in an episode of Cougar Town. Cool. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of it. He, he, he was in, I mean, Scrubs went on for a long time, didn't it? Yeah. Um, through to like 2010. And so, yeah. And then since then, he's been in the odd thing here and there. Um, let's have a little look at... If it'll load lethal seduction. <laughs> High school senior Mark Richards has never minded his overprotective widowed mother Tanya and is a good son to her as he prepares to go off to Princeton in the fall. When he and I'm waiting for the summary to load here. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's when, it. when he comes under the spell of the rapacious, manipulative older woman Carissa Kensington, he <laughs> finds himself in the middle of two strong, unreasonable women, one of whom is insane. <laughs> <laughs> This sounds as bad as the room. <laughs> I, just, I just love that that final, <laughs> final, final line in it. One of whom is insane. Totally on board with that. Throw it in. And that's that's almost that's almost like the same as saying maybe Johnny is a vampire. Maybe maybe Johnny is a vampire. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think we need to watch this. I don't know what role he has in it. He's not very high up the list. Oh god damn it! Is there anyone else so recognizable in it? Um, there is actually, yeah. Um, so it's got um, uh, Amanda Detmer in it, um, who you might recognise. I'm just waiting for the um, might recognise her from uh, Final Destination. She's one of the people in Final Destination. Uh, I've never seen it. Uh, which is yeah, it's a it's a really fun horror movie. I'm just seeing what else she was in. I'm just waiting for it to load. Uh, she's apparently in You, Me, and Dupree. Okay. Is that um, which that's some kind of Ben Stiller vehicle? Yeah, it's a Wilson movie. Yeah. Um, hijinks, as you'd expect. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's got one other person in it. I don't know what the role the Todd has in this movie, but maybe we should investigate and see if it's worthy. I think we need to that. find out. Cool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, Donald Faison, I haven't, I can't remember seeing him in anything else. So it was really nice to see him popping up in Clueless as a young cheeky guy who often, even though he didn't have that much screen time or that many lines, every time he had a line, it was funny, and he was offering yeah. some kind of wisdom and something that drove the plot along. So hats off to him. Yeah, he's great in this movie. He's really good fun. He, um, he, I think, has the line where he says. Street slang is an increasingly valid form of expression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, and and there's that great bit where he's um where they're driving and they accidentally get onto the freeway. Yeah, um, and he's just freaking out with them in the car. It's yeah, it's really good. Yeah, the freeway is it? Does it has no speed limit, or does it vary from state to state? I think it's got a speed limit, doesn't it? I don't know. I know that the. The uh, autobahns in Germany don't have speed limits. Yeah, but I thought that I thought that the freeways in America did have speed limits. They were just significantly higher than your normal road traffic than your average. 
But interestingly, in Hawaii, the speed limits were very, very low everywhere that we went, which is good. We found that most people were driving sort of 5 to 10 above the speed limit. But yeah, even on like the, the major highways, I never saw it get above 55. Most of the time, it'd be like 45 or 40, depending on the terrain. Do you know why that is? Why? It's because um, it makes it easier for Dog the Bounty Hunter to catch people. <laughs> this, is, this is true, yeah. It's all because of Dog. You know, he's he's like 65. Oh, really? Yeah. He's he's quite an old guy. And he was in... um When he was young, he, he went to prison for murder and did his time and came out. And then he was a bounty hunter. And then eventually, somehow, someone picked him up for a TV show when he was like 50. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah, and seeing that on the, the Nicolas Cage thing reminded me of um, Charlie Brooker's description of Dog the Bounty Hunter in one of his old um, Guardian columns about TV back in the day as, as saying that if a penis could choose its own wardrobe, it would look like Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that, actually. Classic. Imagine if Dog the Bounty Hunter was in Clueless. I guess oh, he'd be, be some kind of pervy teacher or something. <laughs> or just him instead of Paul Rudd. Yeah. But uh, so okay, so the teachers in Clueless. There's a there's a kind of subplot where the teachers get together. Um but it serves absolutely nothing to the plot of her being her of Cher discovering that she's clueless, or did I miss something? I think it's more to do with her proving herself as like a matchmaker. Yeah. So I, mean, like I think that's um, that's in the, the Jane Austen text, isn't it? It's like she's the matchmaker, yeah. um, but it's it's a kind of always the bridesmaid thing. And I don't think that actually shone through well in the film. It was it felt more about just kind of her, that it was more about her kind of valley girl cluelessness than about her being matchmaker. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think like there's some scenes of it in there. So her relationship with Ty, for instance, um, really sort of brings it home. But overall, it's more to do with her as a character and how she develops um, and how she sort of like changes her mindset and her attitude towards life in general um, for certain. Yeah. But, but that that side of it, I think, was good. It's just, again, the, the literary adaptation thing. It's always really interesting how it plays out. Isn't it? And in this one, obviously, you don't have to know anything about the source text or anything really to enjoy it because it was still just like a fun film with a lot of snappy lines as well again like a lot of these films they they always have kind of memorable lines and a lot of like very very good funny little scenes in isolation but what i think i, I also really liked about this one was that there was nothing that was too kind of vulgar or crude or um yeah, or like disgusting or gross out there wasn't any kind of gross out moments like in the, a lot of the the later films like um which one is it with the pubes on the pizza? Oh, that's uh, She's All That. She's All That, yeah. I feel like um, <laughs> Clueless started all this stuff and then those films had to take it to the next level. So then then by the time you get to American Pie, it's all dick jokes. But like, yeah, I felt like Clueless was a bit more innocent in that regard and it was kind of refreshing in that way. You weren't waiting for some disgusting thing to happen like you often are with these teen comedies. Yeah, I think, yeah, it definitely comes from how early it was released in comparison to some of the other movies, because American Pie was the same year as She's All That and um, and Ten Things I Hate About You, wasn't it? Uh, yes, 1999. Um, the same year that uh, some of the best albums of all time were released as well. Yeah. Um, such as Nine Inch Nails, The Fragile, which is possibly my favourite album ever. 
um but also the sort of like of horrible teen bro comedies i suppose mm. an interesting year yeah but then yeah obviously it's the 2000s when it starts to tip into kind of um just really gross out gross out territory and then tom green appears <laughs> oh tom green um did you ever see his movie which one um what's it what's it called the one that he he sort of did on his own um cost a load of money and made very little money back oh no i don't believe i did uh, no. what was it called uh Oh, Freddie got fingered. <laughs> oh yeah, good. yeah. No, I I didn't realize that he was the one behind that. But yeah, that's the kind of film I was thinking of when I was talking yeah. about the gross out thing. That it, yeah, it was just endless, endless gross outs. So the kind of jackass culture coming through into fiction comedy films. Because yeah, I used to enjoy a bit of jackass back in the day. But yeah, there was a definitely definite gross out culture in the early two thousands that these kind of teen comedies were leading up to. Yeah, there definitely was. I think what worked about Jackass was that it was completely non-contextual. There was no plot. It was just, here's some men. They're going to go do horrible things to each other, and you're going to laugh at them. Yeah, that really was it. (laughs) And it falls down when that then gets translated into trying to create some kind of semblance of plot, because you just can't do it. Um, what What was the Welsh version of Jackass? Oh, I know. Oh, my one of my friends at school used to love that Dirty Sanchez. Dirty Sanchez. And that was always on like MTV Two, really, really late yeah. at night, at like eleven thirty. I could never get on board with that. That was too vulgar for my tastes. That's the kind of thing my dad MJ would fall asleep in front of the TV, and then he'd wake up, and Dirty Sanchez would be on. He'd be like, "It's time to go to bed now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only one I remember from Dirty Sanchez was they got one of the they all stood there naked and lined up and had got one of their girlfriends to try and work out which one was which by feeling their private parts. It was really quite disgusting. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound like a particularly enjoyable show. Yeah, I remember there was lots of nudity in Dirty Sanchez, but I only watched like two episodes, and then I was like, "No, I can't, I can't deal with this." Yeah. Whereas Jackass, it, the nudity was, I'd say, occasional at best, and yeah. whenever it was, it was there. You felt like it was justified. It, <laughs> yeah, you know, justified nudity. I, I always felt that Jackass in general came from like a good-hearted place. If that doesn't sound too weird, like they just kind of enjoyed putting pranks on each other. And then like when they involved other people, um, apart from Bam Margera, who was often horrible to his own family, yeah, it was all done in a more sort of like enjoyable, lighthearted way. So when they'd like pretend to put a baby on top of the car and drive off and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, where it's more just like what you'd see in a regular prank show. Um, whereas like some of the sort of imitators would just be like really horrible to people for no good reason. Yeah, it's like that's I, that's kind of I guess what I was getting at by saying that Clueless is relatively innocent, and then the next kind of teen comedies all take it to the next level until eventually it's a thing that people are done with, and then culture kind of goes in circles. But it's always like people have to take things to the next level, don't they? And yeah. it's interesting yeah. to look at when we when you look at films about how it relates to other films of a similar ilk, I guess. I'm wondering what the next level up would be from the Bridges of Madison County. Um, more boring. <laughs> they just remove everything but the dialogue. 
they don't change any scenes it is just one solid 90 minute take of two people sitting at a kitchen table whilst they're waiting for a stew to cook yeah and you, you or you get you get Meryl Streep sighing and then you get Clint Eastwood crying in the rain and it just keeps going back and forth between those two things, like an art house film. Uh, I'd watch that. You would love that. That'd be I'd, your favourite. Totally as long as there was some really loud booming music, <laughs> then I'd be totally yeah. bored with it. It'd be that, but with the um, <laughs> the really, really loud from Black Swan. <laughs> or um, have you seen um, the, the social network? Mm-hmm. That scene where um, where they're rowing and the yeah. Hall of the Mountain King is playing, that made me laugh out loud because it was with so the, stupid. With the aggressive industrial rock version of Hall of the Mountain King. And that was the point at it's... which Claire was like, this film is really stupid. I really love that film. I think it's a great <laughs> character study of the kind of people that created Facebook and like the lengths that, that Mark Zuckerberg would go to to screw people over. Yeah. Um, and like, I think a lot of people went into it thinking that it was going to be a more endearing look at how Facebook was made. It's like, no, 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 this is a very horrible, horrible movie about deception and about immaturity. Yeah, um, I thought it was well done. I think the main thing was that the performances were really, really good, and really captivating. Mm, yeah, Everyone in that film yeah. did a really, really great job. But yeah, that that rowing bit was completely non, completely pointless. It, it, it really added made literally me nothing to the movie, and for that reason, I love it, and I'll forever love Aaron Sorkin for putting it in. Yeah, but in but a way, that, sometimes uh... you look at a scene that that adds nothing to the plot, and you go, "Well, what's the point in that?" And sometimes you look at it and you go, "There's so little point to it that that is the point of it, and that is a work of genius." Yes, much like the uh, the drug deal scene in the room. <laughs> yeah, or the um, the seven minute long dance scene in Spider Man Three. Yes, yes. That's that's legit my favourite part of that movie though. Yeah. Genius. I think if that movie if that part didn't exist, I'd have no no need to go back and watch that film again. Yeah. We should talk about the the first of those Spider Man films at some point. The boy Toby Maguire and the... Yeah, it's got the upside down kiss. Not gonna stand here and play my PRS unplugged on a roof. <laughs> I'd love it if someone got like the unedited audio of that scene and you just had that really horrible twangy guitar sound oh. of an unplugged electric guitar and then just the noise of tra- traffic underneath. <laughs> yeah, it probably wasn't even on a real rooftop. It was probably in the studio. Do you reckon it was done on the same roof that the room was filmed? It's, it's possible, yeah. It was around yeah. the same time, was it? Yeah, maybe... Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe they, maybe it was the same roof. That would be amazing. That would be incredible. So, what else do we have to say about um, about Clueless? Let's see. the uh, The dad character I wrote down is quite interesting. He's like he reminded me of Justin Theroux, but he was kind of old and angry, or as the Americans say, Justin Theroux. But I refuse to accept that. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Um, the fun fact for you. About um about the dad, played by uh, Dan Hadaya. Um, he is also the main villain in Arnold Schwarzenegger's Commando. No way. Yeah, he is ah. the evil dictator general who's trying to form forge a military coup, um, and who kidnaps Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter, and then it's going to be all like, 
if uh if and he puts on this really terrible accent in in commando by the way and he's sort of like just saying if if you don't help me do this i will kill your daughter <laughs> you know if they're saying kill as keel you know you know they're they're bad news yeah you know they're wrong and yeah. um uh, he does not meet a good fate he gets shot by arnold schwarzenegger in the um, dick Yes, and it, <laughs> unfortunately, not in the dick. That would have been great, but um, but he's not the big bad of it in the end. So, like, the final fight is between him and um, and uh, a character called Bennett, who is one of um, a former member of Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, like special forces crew, who then left to go and join the bad guys, um, and they have a very dramatic fight in the sort of like tunnels underneath this military complex and it ends with Arnold Schwarzenegger throwing a pipe at Bennett and it gets embedded through Bennett's stomach into a big like steam cylinder which then lets a load of steam out and then Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, offers up possibly his best one-liner um, where he, he turns around and goes let off some steam Bennett <laughs> I thought it was going to be a fart gag oh if only no, I, I, think, I think that might be the best um, the best. The, the, in term in terms of like the proximity of one-liners, though, uh, Predator has it better because you see Arnold Schwarzenegger knock down a wall and say "knock knock" to two people before killing them, <laughs> and then throw a knife at another person and get him this person embedded into a wall with a knife, and then go stick around. <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah, I respect yeah. that. Arnold Schwarzenegger is genuinely a world treasure. Yeah. What would you do if you met him? I'd I would give him a hug immediately. Like and then not let him go until security took him took took me off him. (laughs) I I don't think I could control myself if I ever had the chance to meet him. I think he'd hug you back for a few seconds at least. He would, yeah. He he'd definitely be someone who would be happy to hug back, but I think it would reach that uncomfortable moment where he realized that I would not be letting go anytime soon. And yeah. be forced to take measures. We should make it happen. Yeah, I really want to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's great. Yeah, a dude. So, what else? What else to say about Clueless? The um, the skate guy, the uh, the skater boy who Ty Brittany Murphy's character. He obviously really likes her, and then she rebukes him because of. Cher's trying to get her to go out with someone else and then eventually they get together um, and his name is Travis Birkenstock. Yes, yeah. Which is one of the best and most hilarious character names I've ever heard. And yeah, so he plays like this. So yeah, so um, Ty is a new girl at the school um, who Brittany Murphy takes, uh, played by Brittany Murphy um, and then who Cher takes under her wing and sort of starts training how to be like a cool kid um and she's like immediately attracted to travis the stoner um played by a guy called brecken meyer who um was also in um road trip speaking of gross out comedy movies oh that film was terrible Um, yes (laughs) and uh who also played john in the garfield movie as well (laughs) oh really yeah. I never saw it, but wow. Um, he must really hate yeah, Mondays. Um, he he must really hate Mondays. Do you think he wakes up every Monday and is like, oh, I just remembered I was God in the Garfield movie. 
Um, yeah, and, and as well as Road Trip, there was also Euro Trip. I'd forgotten about that film, but I have just remembered it, and it's coming back to me. Did you ever see that film? <laughs> I avoided it like the plague. I, I think it's a Road real Trip. dog shit film. But there's one bit where there's like a bunch of skinheads. <laughs> And they go. They have to go on a bus to France, and they get to France, and they're driving on the wrong side of the road. And there's a really hilarious scene where they're just driving the bus down France and they're on the wrong side of the road, like giving the finger to all the other drivers. And you're like, "You get arrested." <laughs> well, you know, the French police are well known for being incredibly laid back about people yep. breaking the law. They're definitely not really brutal about people breaking the law, particularly foreigners. Yeah, um, they don't care. Yeah, they they definitely super chill with that kind of behaviour. No, um, I never watched Euro Trip. I decided I would rather not watch that film. Yeah, you're, you're not um, missing out. But uh, but yeah, so so um, so, Mister Mister Stoner, John from Garfield, Skater Boy, he um, he and Ty, played by Brittany Murphy, have have this kind of obvious like attraction to one another but Cher sort of like pushes her down this path to become cooler. And that kind of, that part of the plot, I think is probably the most integral part of the movie as a whole, I suppose, to mm. her becoming a, uh, her becoming a, a more clued in person um, because it eventually reaches this point where, um, where Cher realizes that she's kind of created a monster when it comes to Ty and like Ty is incredibly cruel to her and she sort of takes a step back. And it's only then that she starts sort of like, changing her like what she believes in and um, changing her priorities and things like that um which yeah it's, it's quite it's quite interestingly and and quite delicately done i suppose their relationship was the most interesting part of the film for me for sure um much more interesting than the romantic plot with paul rudd which you you thought was going to happen but you weren't 100 percent sure so that was also good but yeah, her relationship with Ty was interesting because when Ty first appears, you feel like because Cher is attractive and popular and a bit clueless and uh, the Valley Girl, you expect her to to just kind of bully Ty and to push her away and to kind of make fun of her in front of the other kids to try and stay popular. But the the popularity model that appears in a lot of other high school comedies isn't really here in the same way. It's not about popularity, and I I liked that, and I found that refreshing. Even though she's trying to train Ty to kind of be cool and popular, she's not. She's allowing her the chance to be that rather than being, um, you know, bitchy and repressive about it. If that makes sense, and I was sort of pleasantly surprised by that and a bit taken aback by it. Yeah, it doesn't really have the same sort of like focus on the cliques that a lot of high school movies have. Um, so although they do sort of like point out all the different cliques at the at the at the high school, um, there's never that sort of like feeling as though these are groups that are never allowed to interact. Um, and in a way, it kind of makes it more seem more real. Um, so even though Clueless is an incredibly cartoonish movie and it's very vibrant and like like unrealistic, the sort of way that they built the high school as a whole actually feels a lot more real at least in terms of my experiences of, of like being at sick form college. And they're like, even if you do have these different cliques of people, they can still be friends of one another in between like everything else. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it definitely felt like that was a strong message. And especially at like the parties and stuff, everyone was at the party, everyone was hanging out, everyone was having a good time, you know, and then they steal a snowman at the end for no reason. <laughs> 
but yeah like it's it's nice and like and, and yeah so this isn't sort of like a mean girls situation um where in mean girls they like take in the new girl and like they morph her into something awful um although again do you th- think mean girls sort of took a cue from this maybe yeah i definitely think so i think clueless is a real sort of like groundbreaker for those kind of high school movies and like it it does kind of feel like a a stepping stone between like films like the breakfast club and films like 10 things i hate about you hmm. um in the 80s it, ones like, were all very sincere yeah. um even though they were very very funny like in um, the breakfast club i think is genuinely very very funny and parts especially with the teacher being like come in here i'm cracking some skulls that kind of thing that always makes me really really chuckle but all of them come across as very very sincere apart from 16 candles which just comes across as very racist but <laughs> i have not seen that movie in years um but yeah i don't have particularly fond memories of that one <laughs> Um, but yeah, I feel like the, the way when you got into the 90s and these kind of films started emerging, the, the sincerity of the 80s hadn't completely disappeared. But yeah, there was a, a new a new kind of refreshing cheesiness and cartoonishness. You use the word cartoonishness, which I think is right. There was a, a pleasing cartoonishness that I think just makes them a very easy and fun watch. Yeah, for certain. Um, and and yeah, I think that's that's kind of where both the strengths and the weaknesses of clueless lie in that like this is a this is a movie that i don't know how much you'd get out of it if you went into it without the nostalgia of having watched it when you were younger um yeah and i think that's why i probably i didn't i couldn't like really love it i felt like it was it was fine and i enjoyed watching it but it didn't really stay with me and it didn't make me laugh out loud and that kind of thing whereas i think if i had watched it when i was younger it probably would have had more of an effect yeah because i i i didn't watch it when i was really young but i remember watching it like with other people when i was relatively young and so like i do have fairly fond memories of it in that regard um and so like it does still have that kind of nostalgia fix for it for me. Whereas like, even though when I watched it, when it was feeling a little bit dated um, just a few years later, cause I mean, when it came out, I was what, seven years old. Yeah. So like I probably watched it when I was about in my mid teens, for instance. Um, but it still has sort of like quite a lot of like iconic moments to it that like you pick up on, but perhaps now so far down the line with everything that's happened in movies since then, um the fact that it kind of straddles the the line between two very very clearly defined styles of film perhaps means it doesn't have as much as an impact on people who don't sort of take all of those cues um so like i don't know how much enjoyment for instance people would get out of her like computer software to design an outfit these days which is like one of my my favorites when you said it was dated that was something that i felt like i had to mention because there's that and then she's got this like bling mobile phone before mobile (laughs) phones were really a thing and that kind of thing it's yeah it's kind of it's funny it's very very funny in that way to observe yeah she's like i designed my outfit on the computer which yeah is great and like you can do that on like asos now yeah i I, I i've done that i love the fact that like the share software has has become the normal 
ASOS um, might as well sponsor this podcast because they're the only place that I can get jeans that fit or that fit how I like them. Anyway. ASOS jeans are really good, actually. You're totally right on that. Yeah. Um, this message brought to you by ASOS. Yeah, other brands Go of jeans. ASOS now. <laughs> Go to ASOS and put in the code <laughs> Big Boys Don't Dress Badly to get 10% <laughs> off your ASOS order. Yeah. Um, yeah, for real, real talk, ASOS jeans are great. Yeah. Like, I love ASOS jeans. They're really comfy. They fit really well. Their skinny jeans are like the perfect skinniness. Yeah. So like I, I wear their super skinny jeans all the time and like they're not too tight. They're not so tight that like you can't move your lower legs. Even um, a larger man like myself can wear an ASOS skinny jean quite comfortably. Um, so get on those jeans from ASOS. They're well good. Or at least buy them because I'm a 38 waist and like when that's kind of the upper limit of what you can buy in a high street shop as a man. But rare, you know, often you go in and find out they only, they only go to 36. So they have a couple of 38s and then the leg is too short. It's yeah, it's a it's a nightmare. None of that with ASOS. What I really love about ASOS is that um, they do a 33-inch waist, which is normally perfect for me, whereas most places mm. it's 32 or 34. Yeah. And it's like too tight or too big, whereas for me, this is... Uh, this is ASOS is my Goldilocks porridge. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really good. Uh, some of their stuff's not great, but their jeans are awesome. Yeah. So if you need a new pair of jeans, go to ASOS. Right, now that we've spent an hour talking about ASOS, ASOS, give us your fucking money. <laughs> yeah, give us your money, ASOS. We know you've got it. You must have loads of money. Yeah, so our next like campaign on has got to be, yeah, tweet ASOS and get them to give us money. Yeah, totally. You definitely need to do that. Like, uh, maybe they could sponsor um, sponsor Sensations as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like Promotional ASOS considerations could... furnished by ASOS. Yeah, in the credits. yeah, they could do all of like the bibs that people are using when they're eating the hot dogs. <laughs> Although, having seen what Guy Fieri wears most of the time, I think it's quite outlandish. Like, you wouldn't be able to get those kind of fiery shirts on ASOS. Dude, dude, you need to look on ASOS more. There is some <laughs> absolute shite on ASOS. Have you typed I in Guy Fieri into ASOS? <laughs> no, but I think I might have to do that now. Or like fire shirts into ASOS. Yeah. And have a look at have a look at what comes up. Let's have a little look see. They could um, probably even is... sell you some like Faco frosted tips to put on your head. Oh, they blatantly could. Yeah, ASOS does sell some absolute junk and I love it. Because I think for a while I love it because of that. they were selling those clip on mana buns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> might get one of those. They um they do horrendous, absolutely horrendous um like suits as well. Yeah, I've never um, bought a suit from there. They do some they do some grotesque stuff and I totally love them for it. Um and yeah, unfortunately I've never bought it, but I nearly bought um like a neon green suit on there which was in the sale once and was like oh dude when when else am i gonna have the chance to buy a neon green suit how much was it it was only like 50 quid oh that's a steal yeah it would have been a total investment as very rarely do i um very rarely do i regret not making purchases but um but right there, I, I really did. Oh, no, I can't find anything particularly horrendous just with a quick Google search. God damn it. Um, although I have found this. Let me. Can you see that? Or is it too bright? Is that? Oh, okay. Yep. That's like that is... some kind of onesie. 
Some kind of funky onesie. Yeah. Covered in like a floral pattern. Floral pattern onesie. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. Um, but like it looks like it's that kind of horrible material that would give you static shocks. Oh, okay. Um, it, it looks like it's worth the pain. A neon suit would be worth the pain of static shocks. Oh yeah, for certain. Um, there's also this. Oh no, it won't let me open it. I found some Pinterest page. There's there's something that kind of looks like you know. <laughs> Have you watched the Mummy, the the Brendan Fraser? Yeah, movie? yeah. You know that there's the 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 female mummy, ancient Egyptian woman, and she gets painted in, she gets painted with ink so that it shows that if anyone touches her, then it shows up. Yeah. Um, there's an outfit here that basically looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know like Hall- Halloween's coming up. It's true. Halloween is coming up, and I think I think maybe I should do that. Apart from rather than wearing this jumpsuit, I do. You just cover I've lost you I'm, I'm still here you just um oh yeah I've lost you now oh no it was going so well can you hear me uh yep I can hear you now you were going cool. a bit slow, but now it sounds like you're back to normal. Okay, okay. I turned off my screen. Yeah. I don't know if it's where if you can say in case there's some kind of issue with our internet. Yeah, let me um let me try that. As um I think that was although the, if I remember rightly the last time I did that, that was when we were getting the double Johnston. Oh, it's true. That does run the risk of the double Johnston. Well, it seems to be okay now, so maybe we should just leave it as is. Yeah. I the the cursor is beach balling now anyway so oh okay um so <laughs> after that brief like technical issue welcome back everybody um <laughs> clearly asos was unhappy with us criticizing their wares so i think we better stop because otherwise asos will send another ddos attack on us <laughs> yeah. yeah the asos DD- ddos <laughs> I don't mind what they do as long as they give us their fucking money. Although I have just found the worst best thing. I can't show it to you. But um, it's a tie-dye vest um, with dye hippie scum written on it. (laughs) That is fantastic. Um, Which, uh, you know, I might actually be tempted to buy that. that. That is exactly the kind of... Oh wait, no, I found something even better. Are you going to get married but are you worried about the military catching you obviously i mean it was at the back of my mind all the time um on my wedding day you were there you know there was there was definitely a kind yeah. of an atmosphere of worrying that we might get stormed at any point yeah i i mean i could tell before the wedding you were like rob rob keep an eye out for the soldiers coming in here to to try and capture us you wouldn't have had that worry if you had this suit which is a nice three-piece suit, apart from it's in camouflage. Awesome. Yes. So I, I mean, it. that's the that's possibly the most practical suit ever because if you're going like out into the woods and you're worried that the military are going to find you, going to find you, that way you can have a nice woodland wedding, or you can have a nice business meeting in the woods, um, and then if people do come to try and find you, you can quite easily hide and then evade them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a multi-purpose 
really serves to just highlight the quality that ASOS provides. Excellent. You know, you can go there for comfy jeans. You can go there for your die hippie scum vests. And you can go there to shop for your military wedding. Of course, yeah. If, you, if you're having a military wedding, ASOS is obviously the place to go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Get on board. I don't know if they do a camouflage tie or a camouflage shirt to go with it, but you imagine that they you would have the full camo gear. I bet you um, Arnie has those in his wardrobe. <laughs> He's got to, doesn't he? He's got to. Um, do you reckon you should get like a camouflage top hat as well? Yep, definitely. If you're going for a, like a, a nice high quality wedding, you've got to get the top hats on. Yeah. I very much regret so, yeah. not doing this at my own wedding. <laughs> oh, so think, yeah, do I we um we... do we have anything else to say on clueless really um i yeah i don't have much more to say other than there's the emotional dad speech so it obviously includes that very very important element of the the high school comedy um it wasn't as good as the 10 things i hate about you baseball dad obviously but it was still pretty good especially as he was quite a scary dad he was a more scary dad than most of the um the teen comedy dads. So it was when you got the speech from him, you felt like it was more of a payoff. Oh yeah, for sure. And then uh, was it, she's all that that also had the dad speech. Yep. I had a dad speech as well. There's always like the mum's dead. So you have to get the dad speech. Yeah. And then it's like, it's a man showing his emotions. So it must be important. Yeah. You know, it's important. And I wrote down here that the narration oddly makes you warm to her, even though she's obviously a rich bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's there's a lot of like um, of her narrating over the top at various points, um, which I guess is also there to make it feel kind of Jane Austen-ish because a lot of the I I am going to assume that the source text is in first person. I don't know because I haven't read it, but um, I think that was supposed to make it to. help that aspect of the adaptation work its way into the film and i guess that part of it succeeded yeah i think it i I do think that the narration works very well in this film because it helps keep the structure together and it helps give you like an inside track on her mind during parts where she's putting up appearances um which really helps ground her as a character and it really helps keep you on her side which is great so yeah it's a very it's a very well crafted movie yeah, um, I think it's one I'll probably come back to once every couple of years, every two or three years. You're looking for a, a light comedy to watch at a chill time. Pop it on. Why not? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's a movie that I watch every so often. Um, it's one of Katie's favorite movies, and um, I really enjoy watching it as well. Cool. So um, we, we watch it probably once a year, I suppose, probably on average. Um, so I've got I've got a little bit of fun trivia here. For, okay. For for if 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 clueless ever comes up in your pub quiz. Yeah, could do. Uh, if, or if you have have a, a a clueless round of your pub quiz, if you're if you're so inclined. Um. So, actors who auditioned for this film for the role of Cher. Um. There's also Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Um. And Zoe Deschanel. No way. Yeah. She was a thing in 1995. Yeah. Apparently so. Because um, the first thing I remember her in is Almost Famous, and that's got to be, what, 2001? Yeah, yeah, that must have been around then. Um, she was in um, Election. I don't know when that was. I that's seen a good that. film. Um, and in terms of other people that went for roles in it, um, 
Owen Wilson went for Travis the Skater Boy. No way. Yeah, um, as did Seth Green. Ah. I felt like the guy who actually got it um, kind of looked a bit like Paul Dano, and that endeared me to him. Oh, Paul Dano. But um, yeah, I, could, I could have seen Owen Wilson in that role. Yeah, I, he could have. He could have done that well. He could have done that well. Um, so everyone knows that 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 um, Paul Rudd is an unaging man. Yeah. Um, however, in terms of the oldest people of those that group of young actors in this movie, uh, Stacey Dash, who plays Dion, was actually three years older than Paul Rudd. Blimey. Yeah. So. Paul Rudd was not the oldest person, even though he was like the oldest of the young'uns. How old was she? What's the gap between her age and the age she's playing? Um, I don't know at the time. That would require mathematics that are far beyond my comprehension. Oh, oh, this time, this time of night. Jeez. <laughs> well, this time of night. I'm not. I'm not counting. <laughs> at this time of night. Um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, she's three years older than than handsome Paul Rudd. Cool. What about ugly um, Paul Rudd? What about ugly? There's no such thing, is there? <laughs> no, obviously there's not. How how dare you even suggest it? <laughs> oh, um, the also, band that plays in. The... I was I was about to mention that. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. You do. You the uh, the mighty yeah. mighty boss tones. Um, yeah, yeah. And their singer is a, a little bit a little bit of a proto Guy Fieri. I'd venture to say. He's got he's got <laughs> the sticky up hair. He's got a similar yeah. a similar bulk and presence. Yeah, I think I think you know, there, there's some definite similarities here. Do you reckon we can find a place for the mighty mighty boss tones? Yeah, they should. They can't be at the end with smashed biscuits because that's too much of a kind of encroaching into their territory, and we've already shoehorned Robbie Williams into it. But yeah, um, we can't. We can't go any further than that. They could appear kind of midway through. Maybe like they could do some guest judging or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. As as long as they're, they're announced with someone going, "Oh my God, it's the mighty mighty Bastones. Just one person. Yeah, or we could get them to like follow round one of the comedy characters with their horns doing comedy pop pop music. Well, that's where the alt right could come in. Ah, uh... they could just be followed around by a band playing like. Speaking of the alt right, um, while watching the film Clueless, it features the song "All Right" by Supergrass, um, and I imagined in my head while it was playing on the film soundtrack that it would go, "See our friends, see the sights, feel all right," <laughs> <laughs> and that made me chuckle to myself. That maybe it could be. You, you can be yeah, that it could it, the lyrics could easily be changed for it to become a neo-Nazi anthem. Poor it old kids. Supergrass. Did you did you see um, that the creator of Pepe the Frog is now suing various fascists? I believe he has he has won some kind of lawsuit against oh against the people who made a children's book uh, a fascist children's book with Pepe in it. I think he won the lawsuit against them at least. I don't think he's winning the lawsuit against all of the guys on Twitter who have Pepe avatars who are spewing all their completely useless content into the world. But he's doing his best, and good luck to him. Yeah, fingers crossed, because, you know, the more money you take away from these scumbags, the better. Yeah, his name's Matt Fury, spelled F-U-R-I-E, 
And yeah, if you want to buy some very hilarious comics, buy his books on Twitter because that'll be a kick in the arse of the alt right. Yeah, definitely. He's good. Um, Look him up. He's he's a good one. We like him. Yeah. We don't like the alt right. No, we do not. Or well, the mainstream right either, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we do like all right by Supergrass. No, we do. Speaking of which, do you want um do you want a Jacob Reese Mog update? Yes, of course. He's still a bellin. Ba, 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 ba. Here's the Jacob Reese Mog <laughs> update. <laughs> Welcome like a to hun- this a hunting horn. Jacob. <laughs> Welcome to this week's Jason Re- uh, Jacob Reese Mog update. Jason Reese Mog. Jason. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a terrible action hero, like a sort of Johnny English background character <laughs> thing. I'm Jason Rees-Mogg. I'm just imagining Jacob Rees-Mogg, but with like a six pack and a long mullet. Yeah, and he, he throws his top hat and like knives come out of it and cuts someone and then it flies back to him. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, this, this week's Jacob Rees-Mogg update. He's still a bell end. He, he's still a still a massive idiot. That's that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's all we need. Thank yeah, you for the update, like, Paddy. Reese Mogwatch, still a twat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, Ghost Watch. Did you ever see Ghost Watch? No, no. The um, it was this this mockumentary thing that was done by the BBC in the nineties, and it got like a huge number of complaints because it was so scary. And people thought that it was real and that it was real poltergeists and stuff like that. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. We could do that with Jacob Rees-Mogg and we could just follow him around for an hour. Yeah. He's pretty, he's pretty scary. Like, he's, he's still being a bell end. <laughs> Whispering into the camera in like a really low light. Three minutes in. He's buying a croissant. He, he looks like a bell end buying this croissant. Watch out for this one. Here we observe him patronising a service worker. You turned into David Attenborough. <laughs> I did. I, I couldn't help it. It's just. It's just in me. Every time I want to narrate anything, I want to do. I want to do Attenborough. We should. We should do it more, Guy Fieri. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that Jacob Rees Mogg is a bellend, <laughs> but he's a bellend. <laughs> oh, even just to get those two people in the same room would be would be amazing. Yeah. Imagine their conversation. Or if, if Guy Fieri came round to Jacob Rees-Mogg's massive house and went into his massive kitchen where obviously they have a cook that cooks for them because he probably couldn't cook anything himself. But yeah, if he went into Jacob Rees-Mogg's kitchen and started like trying to get him to make traditional roast like English dishes or whatever. And... <laughs> yeah. I'd love it. That'd I want this good. show. It would be, it, yeah, we should get Guy Fieri to basically become the when Louis met yeah. of our generation. That'd so he goes amazing. around and tries to teach how to cook, like weirdos and bellends. Because he's such a um, he's such a sort of amazingly positive and welcoming person. To get him to be to sort of meet with all like nutty people, like flat earthers and yeah, people like that, and all right people and that kind of thing. Because as well, you feel like he's so kind of nice and positive and cuddly that everyone would accept him. And yeah. you know, like they wouldn't think he's like an undercover cop or something. They'd be like, okay, it's, this is this guy. Yeah, sure, let him in. Yeah, I think that that would work really, really well. He's um, wasted on the Food Network. 
He is. He deserves. He deserves his own investigatory journalism. <laughs> How great would that be? Yeah, <laughs> here's Guy Fieri on the rise of the neo-Nazi, and it's the kind of thing that people do at this stage of their career, isn't it? Or after they've had a hit show and obviously a very, very important hit film smash at the box office. That's what you you do, isn't it? Or the, yeah, even if it's not film, it's something like at this stage of your career in that age. I think he's he's he must be about fifty. Maybe. Yeah, he must be around 50. And, you know, if you look at people, other people like that, you've got, you know, Michael Portillo doing his trains thing. You know, it's all, oh, it's yeah. all stuff, it's stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, I think we could definitely find a place for him doing that kind of stuff. Um, the one thing that I'd love for him to do is to do some kind of really, really nasty uh, people. Like if he went to the uh, Westboro Baptists, for yeah. instance. Um, and made hot dogs with them. It'd be fascinating TV. I, I imagine that hot dogs are banned from the Westboro Baptist Church because they look like penises and encourage homoerotic thoughts. Well, they they follow very random passages of the Bible incredibly strictly, don't they? Yeah, they, they very much cherry-pick the bits that they want to use to uphold their insane ideas. So I wonder whether there's at some point in the Bible something about processed meats. Yeah. So could they even eat hot dogs? Is that part of the scripture that they believe in? Uh, well, speaking as someone who went to Catholic school, there is a passage in Leviticus where Jesus visits a hot dog mine. <laughs> <laughs> Blessed be the hot dog miners. Yeah. For they, they shall inherit the source. They shall inherit the chili. <laughs> so no, I think hot dogs are probably okay. Okay, that's all right then. Yeah, the Westboro Hot Dog Church. <laughs> if we ever, if we ever do like a food pop up in London, that's what we call it. <laughs> yep, I'm very much down with that. <laughs> Would you like a side of racism with your Frankfurter, sir? <laughs> Would you like some racist relish? Racist relish. Good times. I think, yeah, this could could totally take off. Racist relish, prejudiced pickles, marginalising mustard. (laughs) Uh, Kekistan ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So look out for that one coming soon to a Shoreditch near you. Yeah. It'll be... Served out of a shipping container. <laughs> out of a shoe. I thought you were going to say then. <laughs> yeah, just a hot dog chucked in a shoe. <laughs> Sticking out the top. <laughs> Footlongs would be in a boot. <laughs> exactly. A big boot. But surely every oh. every hot dog in a in a shoe is a foot long because it's as if you make it as long as the foot that would go inside the shoe. I like your thinking here. We could even set up after the after the racist hot dog pop up has done its <laughs> part. We could then move on to starting a real restaurant called um, Footlong Hot Dogs. Yeah, where like they're not all necessarily one foot long, but they're all served up in shoes. It's very much a lottery, depending on you. You can choose the type of shoe, so you can go slipper, boot, desert boot, trainer, um. 
fashionable high heel. You know, you get a lot of shoe options, but you don't get to choose the size. It's very much a, a lottery, a lucky dip. Yeah, exactly. So you could end up with a nice, like, size 13 shoe yep. with a giant hot dog in it. Giles Corrin is going to fucking love it. <laughs> we should totally get in touch and be like, wait, this is what we're doing. Yep. Do you like it? We'll give you. We'll, we'll let you keep the shoes. <laughs> yeah, do you keep the shoe after you've done eating your hot dog? Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to clean them and reuse them, wouldn't it? It would, but at the same time, our our costs would be astronomical. Yeah, sourcing sourcing new shoes would be would be a distribution nightmare. So yeah, we, we, I guess we need to have a special shoe washing machine. Unless we went down the Sweeney Todd route, and every so often we just bumped off our customers and took their shoes. Yeah, so we take their shoes and the shoes that they've just eaten a hot dog out of as yeah. well. Yeah, and everyone's they, a winner. They form the delicious hot dog meat as well. You see. Oh, ah, so okay, yeah. It, it all it all works incredibly well. Yep, I'm down with this. All right, plan of action. Nice. So that's that's, <laughs> a, that's a lot of stuff to, for us to work on this week. Coming coming soon to a London restaurant near you. Cannibal racist hot dog <laughs> shoes. <laughs> that sounds like some kind of like art school first year art school project <laughs> oh dear it'll work mm. i'm telling you good times so final judgments on clueless what are we what's the rating the rating scale out of out of 20 ooh mm. that's a difficult one actually it i'm is. trying to think of a good rating scale um how many parts of your outfit out of 20, maybe, or Ooh. something like that? Yeah. How, like, you have a maximum of 20 parts of your outfit that you can wear. So how complex are you making your high school outfit? How, how many items are you going to drag on the computer? Yeah, yeah. To make up today's outfit? Um, I would give it a 14. Ah, oh, very good. I was thinking fourteen as well. All right, so cool. We're, we're 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 together on this one. Yeah, you know, it's it's solid. It's not up. It's not up there. It doesn't reach the the high echelons, but it's always worth a watch. It's good fun, inoffensive '90s comedy that bridges the gap between the sincerity of the '80s and the gross outness of the late '90s, moving into the 2000s. Well worth your time. Yeah, for sure. I I really love. Um... I really love this movie quite a lot, but I can't say that I really get super excited about watching it. Um, but there's just something incredibly comforting about watching Clueless. And like all the characters are really well developed. It's a really likable movie. Um, and like there's nothing really to hate about it. Like, I've, I've not met anybody who doesn't like Clueless, but I think if I did, I would probably not like them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you don't like this movie. There's if you don't like it, you. why don't you go join the Westboro Baptist Church? <laughs> exactly. There's no middle ground. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. So I believe we have one more week before we get into our Halloween festivities for October. Mm-hmm. And the choice have is we, yours. Have we outlined our Halloween activities yet? We, we have to ourselves. We haven't announced it officially. Shall we leave it? Should we leave our listeners in suspense? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think it has to week. be. Yeah. 
We have to do um, a do a Stephen King, be masters yeah. of suspense. So, we we uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in for my Radio Four voice for this bit. Oh, are you are you getting a bit a bit Attenborough on me? I I, I am a little bit, yeah. So, uh, dear listeners, we have plans for you for the month of October. Prepare for some excellent movies, but all will be revealed very soon. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> So we, nice. there, there's some good there's some good stuff coming up in October. We've got planned for you, um, but we do have one episode left before we reach that point. And uh, this movie's been a long time coming. Um, I've mentioned it a few times, but I think it's now time to actually get on it. Um, dear Paddy, we will be watching the Russell Crowe Les Miserables. Yay! I thought I knew we'd get around to it eventually. Yeah, I thought I thought now was a good time. Yeah. Good time to get on it. I know it's not like a romantic movie, but there's enough going on there with romance. There's love in it. To, yeah. And and like it seems to fit quite well with some of the other movies we've watched so far. So yeah, yeah Lame Is. And I think we have mentioned it on multiple occasions, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um I can't wait to rewatch it. I've not watched it in a while. That's a good choice. I I, I've, not seen it. I've seen it on stage, but never seen any other adaptation of it. I'm That's very good. excited to hear what you think. Yeah. Because like it's it, it's a movie that kind of I don't know if I love or I hate it. That's good. Or if I hate love it. <laughs> so I'm really you can, yeah. You can kind of hate love a film, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm super excited to rewatch it and, and to sing along um with Russell Crowe. Sweet. It's gonna be great. Good choice. Alright. Well that's gonna do it for us, I think. Uh, so this has been the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. As ever, if you have anything to share, if you want to, like um, like you did this week, help us out in recasting the room with old school footballers, stuff like that, we're always up for that. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, so really tweet us that. at Big Boys Don't Pod. Drop us an email at Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, get in touch. What did you think of Clueless? Yeah, let who us do you know. think would? Who do you think would pull off that amazing outfit at the beginning of the film better, me or Paddy? <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Which of us would look good in a neon suit? Which of us would look good in a camo suit? <laughs> yeah, with with matching top hat. With matching top hat. Yeah, because the, the Twitter poll about whether you would be Mark and I would be Johnny or vice versa in the room proved to be inconclusive. But I gave, <laughs> I gave the option of, say, of just going, you're tearing me apart, and obviously everyone chose that, so... Yeah, I obviously need to be more decisive with my Twitter polling. <laughs> Do you think I should buy a vest that says "Die Hippie Scum" on it? Yes. Oh um, no, you mean you mean ask the listeners? Obviously, I think asking yes. the listeners. I, w- I want to know what. But, but from now on, my um, I want to know what love is. My my, <laughs> my entire wardrobe is going to be democratically voted on by the listeners of this website I, of this podcast. I fully support this as an exercise, an important exercise in democracy. Yeah, you know, um, if we have to uphold the will of the dem- people. <laughs> are you frustrated <laughs> with how democracy has panned out for you? Well, this is a this is a vote you can truly believe in, and yeah. That, truly reflect your views it's your chance to take back control <laughs> i will be giving 350 million pounds a week to asos <laughs> for my wardrobe no they'll be giving it to us for the advertising <laughs> how will. else are we going to fund sensations <laughs> as it grows steadily and steadily more expensive yeah <laughs> oh all right we'll talk we'll be in your ears next week talking about les miserables
Alrighty. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>